Oh, okay. Now I tell you what, that's a chain. And that that is uh, a metaphor, I guess, for spiritual bondage, huh? Yeah, you know, uh, our life can be filled with a lot of worry, a lot of baggage, a lot of circumstances, a lot of issues, a lot of trouble. Because that's what life is, right? Life is tough. And Jesus did not come and say, oh, no, come to me and all your problems go away. He said, no, come and I'm going to teach you a way to to live and to handle problems, but don't worry, I've overcome this world and this is temporary. The lousy stuff that's in your life is temporary, but you gotta have faith. You gotta be able to see with vision what's gonna happen. You, you gotta see the future. Now last week, we looked at the parable of the rich fool. Remember him? He's the guy that his crops got so big, he said, man, I'm rich! I'm gonna tear down my barns and build bigger barns! And God said, you fool. He said, tonight, I'm taking your soul. And who's going to spend all that money that you made? Who, what's going to happen to that? And Jesus said this key word, though. Uh, it's really in, found in verse 15. And I'll just read it to you. It says, one's life, that means your life, my life, does not consist in the abundance of our stuff, right? That doesn't make our life worth living, our stuff, or what he said, our possessions. And it's really the key to our text today. So I hope, I hope you have your Bibles with you. We're going to turn there in a second. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, but let me continue on. Luke last week was directed towards the rich in this world. And as Americans, by and large, we are so rich. I mean, we're just filthy rich. And you can say amen to that because you are. You know, not everybody, but most Americans, they got a house, they got a roof, they've got food, they've got food in their pantry right now. Most Americans are rich. Today's Jesus is going to switch from talking about rich people and he's suddenly going to talk to people that don't have so much. Those that we would consider in poverty, those that we would consider poor. Um, and yet it's the same, it's the same key verse. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Being rich brings its own spiritual problems or challenges. And being poor brings another set of spiritual challenges, doesn't it? Spiritual problems. Why? The rich are tempted to trust what? Their money. Show me the money, right? Pretty soon you don't need God and you can be arrogant What's that? You don't think you need God. Well, you, yeah, you don't think you need God. Thank you for that clarification, Miss <laughs> Tammy. They still, rich people still need God because one day their soul is going to be required of them. And so the question is, is what do you trust in? Are you trusting in your possessions? But then at the same time, being poor, what, what then happens is we start to doubt God's love for us. We start to doubt God's provision for us. We start to try to take control over our own life and start to, here's today's word you saw. Today's title is what? Me worry? Alfred E. Newman for all you mad, mad gazine subscribers. Yeah, what? Me worry? Why? Because we do worry. Whether men are rich or poor or everywhere in between, the at, your attitude towards money, what you think of it, really reveals what's going on in your heart. 
It really, what, what do you really trust in? Um, I, I don't know. Do you, how many of you remember your wedding vows? Some of you have been married a long time. My wife does. Good. I don't even remember my wedding. You don't even remember your wedding? Okay. Okay. Part of, part of a wedding is, will you take this person for richer or poorer in sickness and and health, right? Well, while we're saying them, let's be honest. While we're saying them, aren't we hoping for the richer part, right? Aren't we really wanting the health part? And yet we say it, but inside we're like, no, we want to be rich. We, we want our, our marriage to be filled with stuff. Well, that's okay. But money and wealth have a way of tempting us. And having not enough creates a temptation of doubting God's goodness. And what I would call, it, that's the elephant in the room. And I actually have a picture of an elephant. I couldn't afford to bring in a real elephant, okay? But there's the elephant in the room, right? You know, you, Victoria, you are not the elephant in the room. Being worried, being anxious, being fearful is probably the most widely used sin in a Christian's life. When we worry, we're actually sinning. Did you know that? When we're anxious, we are actually sinning against our Father. Because what we're saying to the Father is, I don't trust you. I don't believe that you're going to take care of me. I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm going to take control. We all like control, right? Do we have any control freaks here? Okay, we've got one, we've got two, we've got three. Well, yeah. So... We live in the richest nation in the world, and yet we Americans worry about everything, right? What do we worry about? We worry about health. We worry about our money. We worry about jobs. We worry about kids. We worry about our society. We worry, we worry, we worry. We, we even worry about what time we have to get up in the morning. We worry about, you know, whether this is going to happen or that's going to happen. We worry because we have such little faith. And so you have your Bibles with you. You're in Luke chapter 12. Let me begin reading. He's going to say this, and he said to his disciples, therefore, so it's like, okay, what did he just say? Well, I just told you the key verse is, our life does not consist in the abundance or lack of abundance of our stuff. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body and what you will put on it. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So here's the very first fill in the blank. I've already told you what it is, and that is this. Worry is sinful. Being anxious is being sinful. Uh, and here's why. In the original language, in the Greek language, the voice that is used to communicate is in the imperative that means it's the command voice. That means Jesus is commanding us, do not worry. But we don't treat worry like sin, do we? Because we all do it, right? We all worry. We worry about everything. So since everybody's doing it, therefore, I guess it's not really sinful. But the fact is, if you drill down deep, if you dig deeper, you start to question, well, why am I worrying? What, what is making me worry? Worriness or anxiousness, it actually 
is it's kind of a, a weird word. It means to be torn apart. Okay, picture if you've ever been near the ocean, swells, and you've got a ship on that. And that ship is just going up and down on the waves, up and down on the waves. And so much so that the ship feels like it's breaking apart. That's the word anxious. It means to be tossed about. Now, our English word for worry, because I talked about anxious, but the word for worry, actually, I, I copied something from the internet. A definition from Webster's Dictionary or something. But this is the origin of the word wor worry. Old English worgan means to strangle of West Germanic origin. In Middle English, the original sense of the verb gave rise to the meaning seize by the throat and tear. Later figuratively means to harass, whence cause anxiety too. And then you don't have to know about when the dating is. But the bottom line is to worry means to tear apart or to strangle. The very nature of worry is destructive. That is partly why God says, I want you to worry. Don't worry. Did you, have your parents ever told you when you were a little kid not to worry? And did you still worry? You still worried. Did what your parents tell you not to worry about come about? No. Our Heavenly Father knows what your tomorrow's like. He knows the next time you're going to get hungry. He knows the next time somebody's going to get hurt in our town or get run over. He knows everything. And yet free will still happens, and, and yet he knows. And so he tells us, do not worry. Because your life is not about eating and drinking and where you're going to sleep next, right? It's not about what you're going to watch or what you're going to put into your body. It is about him, a personal relationship with him. And when we understand that life is more than just what we do in our physical component, and it's more about our spirit and our very soul, that opens up our whole world to us, doesn't it? See, worry is destructive. It destroys us. It messes with our emotions. Say amen to that. Man, it messes with our peace, right? It messes with our purpose. But the real crux of worry is that it is the sin of distrusting the promises the presence, and the providence of God. Let me say that again. I'm going to read it. But the real crux of worry is that it is the sin of distrusting the promises, the presence, and the providence of God. So worry is kind of like an emotional and a f almost physical, spiritual, and mental strangling yourself. <laughs> I'll tell on myself. When I don't like horror movies. I hope you don't like horror movies. I just, I just, they, I, they're too real to me, right? And because I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, I've had in, encounters with demons. And it is a scary thing. And so to see anything on TV or movie that's talking about the demonic, I know how real it is, and I know how powerful that is, and I don't want to have anything to do with it, even if it's a, on a movie screen and it's made up. I don't want to go there. But when I was a kid, and we would watch scary things with my older brothers and sisters, this is how I would find myself. I don't know why, but I would naturally, like, close down my throat. And, when I, and You know what? That's what happens when we worry. We're strangling the life that Jesus has given out of us. And we're not living the life we're supposed to. And so we're choking out trusting God our Savior, you know. 
And if you had to put it on a spectrum, worry is the opposite of contentment. So worry is way over here, okay? And contentment is on the other side because if you're content, you're not worried about anything, right? But if you're worrying, you're, you're telling God, I'm not content. I'm not happy about where my life is right now and it's your fault. Well, I might have screwed up too. But still, I'm not content. And so understand that, that worry and doubt and being the control freak that we are is the opposite of being content and being full of peace and understanding and wisdom and to go with the flow. How many of uh, you are the go with the flow kind of people? One, two, okay, three. Everybody else is going to tell you what to do after service. <laughs> right? Let's go back to our text. Verse 24, Jesus is going to do an illustration. You know, he says this, don't worry, don't be anxious. I'm commanding you, imperative voice, I am commanding you not to worry. And then he says, consider the ravens. Now the ravens in the Jewish uh, Old Testament, they were considered a dirty bird, right? Something that you cannot eat because they're scavengers and you don't want to eat a raven. And he says this, consider the, this raven, the dirty bird, they neither sow nor reap, nor have they a storehouse or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? And of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you, who are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest of your life? And he said, then consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And then he says, you have little faith. You got no faith. You got no faith in, in, the, in your father. And your father tells you he's going to take care of you. And yet you go out and try to do things on your own. So here, here's the next fill in the blank. Worry is not logical. I mean, if we were just to be pragmatic, right? That should be pragmatic. Worrying is not logical. Worry about food. Worry about our youthful longevity. That's why we go join gyms and work out and do all the things that we think we're supposed to do and buy the latest fad and a diet to somehow extend our life, extend our beauty, extend our hair that people lose. You know, we do all these things. I'm going to go get hair transplant because I, I want that youth. What is that going to do? We worry about clothes. The, the, Jesus is hitting the basic necessities of life. You can expand your list if you want. Bottom line, worry shows that we're mastered by our circumstances. Worry says that we are being mastered by our circumstances. We're not controlling our circumstances, God is. But then we somehow give power to our circumstances to affect our life. Now, I'm not saying if you stub your toe, it's not gonna hurt. It hurts, right? 
You lose your job, you lose your job, right? Bad things are going to happen because we started off the service admitting that, that we live in a broken and a fallen world and this was not God's idea. That's why he sent Jesus to rescue us so that we can get ready to really live and we can begin living even now. And Jesus is not suggesting that we be like birds and we just sit on our bum and do nothing and have no purpose in life because even though God feeds the birds, the birds are what? They are working hard, aren't they? So it's like this partnership with God. God's going to do his part, and then he wants us to do our part. You know, we can't be lazy in our thinking that, oh, I'm just supposed to have the government provide for me. Oh, no, I'm supposed to have God provide for me. He's just going to send me a check. No, God's going to provide opportunity, but you have to step out in faith that he's going to do it, and he'll meet you there. He's going to meet you there in that moment of faith when we step out. If you've got God in your life, worry is illogical, right? So stop it. <laughs> Can I say that? I've been wanting to say that all this week. Stop it. Stop worrying. Because all, it all it's doing is it's moving you away from God and it's causing you to doubt his goodness. So it's just stop it. It is a decision. It's emotional, but it's a, still a decision of the will. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to replace it. That's why I said, hey, when you came in this door or into this auditorium or this theater, you leave everything at the feet, everything at the feet of Jesus, because you need to hear this. Because if you're hanging on to worry, it blocks your ears. You can't hear what God's wanting to tell you because you're absorbed and hearing your echo chamber in your head. Are you with me on that? Because that's where worry takes you. It takes you to an echo chamber. Worry is based on who you trust. Do you trust God? Or do you trust your circumstances more? I know that sounds weird, but do you trust God more? Or do you trust your circumstances more? Or I should say distrust your circumstances more. And if you truly trust God, you'll hold his hand instead of holding the hand of worry. Now, my dad was not an affectionate father. Maybe you had an affectionate father and you got hugged a lot. I, I, I didn't get hugged. I did it. My father on, on one hand told me, I love you, maybe five times. One, two, three, four, five. He didn't know how to communicate. Doesn't mean he didn't love me. And where was I going with this? Oh, I know where I was going with this. That imagery of still holding on to your father's hand is powerful. Because we sing about it. He's a good, good father. And he loves you. And if you can trust a father, you want to hold his hand, don't you? Because maybe you're crossing the street right now and it's rough. And there are cars zooming by. Maybe you're trying to get a, across a swamp right now. And there, it's full of alligators. And your father is saying, hold my hand. That's who you trust. You're going to grab onto the Father's hand or you're going to grab onto your worry. You get to decide what you hang on to. And that's what Jesus is saying. This worrying is illogical based on your Father's love for you. Worry shows us that we're controlled by our circumstances and it accomplishes nothing. Absolutely nothing does worry accomplish. So let's go back to the text. Verse 29, it says, 
And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. Here's the next fill in the blank. Worry grows our distrust of God and undermines our faith. That's why it's so wrong. It undermines our faith when we start to worry. See, worry makes you focus on yourself. And then suddenly you start saying, I can't a lot. I can't. I can't. When God says you can. I can't. I can't fix that. No, you can't, but God can. You know, you start using these I statements, and that's really not appropriate. Feeling sorry for yourself is an expression of worry. Did you know that? Feeling sorry for yourself is an expression of worry. I'm going to take you back to Genesis chapter 4. We're not going to turn there, but I'm going to tell you what happens in Genesis chapter 4. Cain kills his brother Abel. Doesn't take God by surprise. So he goes to Cain and says, here's your punishment. The ground's no longer going to yield its strength to you. You're not going to be able to grow food. So, sorry, going to be hungry now. And I'm going to put them, and then and Cain, and then God says, and you're going to go out of my presence. And Cain says, poor me, poor me. I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I just killed my brother, and, and now I can't grow a garden. Really? See, he's, he's thinking about himself because that's where worry takes you. It's an expression of selfishness. And instead of saying, oh, God, I am so sorry for killing my brother. Do you know he was the first murderer? Cain is the first murderer in all of history. Of all of humankind, he is the one that takes the life of another human being made in the image of God. And when he gets caught, he says, poor me. He's worried that he's not going to get enough food now. He's worried that he has to be a wanderer. He's worried And see, that's where worry leads you. Worry leads you to feel sorry for yourself. That's why it's so dangerous. See, if you're content, you don't feel sorry for yourself. When you're okay with where you're at, even if it sucks, can I say that in church? Just today. Sometimes it does. And God knows it. And he's there with you. And he says, this is temporary. Your life is not going the way I designed it. And you've made some bad decisions along the way. And there's some consequences that we're going to have to work through. But I'm with you. I'm walking with you. I've got your hand. I'm holding your hand. But if we allow worry to come in it, starts to grow this distrust of God. We start approaching God like this instead of like this. You see that? And worrying is addictive. It's not a drug, but in a way it's an emotional drug. It's very addictive. It's 
probably more addictive than anything. That's why everybody does it, even though we know it's wrong, even though we know it's illogical, even though we know it, it, it takes us away from God. It's addictive. It's a bad habit that wants to hurt you. And the cause of worrying is seeking the solutions of your problem through usually money, power, you know, prestige, the things the world has to offer. But the cause of contentment is seeking the solution. Because go back to the text when it says this, verse 31, instead, instead of seeking the things that the world seeks that only causes more worry, he says, verse 31, instead seek his kingdom and all these things are going to be added unto you. You're going to get all the things, but seek the kingdom first. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, I have a slide for you. To seek his kingdom is to seek first God's rule in your life, his will in his life, his authority in, his, in, in your life. And when we seek those attributes of the kingdom, you know what? God just comes along and suddenly things are doing a lot better. And you know what? You're filled with peace. You're filled with joy. You're filled with contentment. You're filled. Why? Because you've let go of worry. And now you're seeking the kingdom first. The world says, seek after the things of the world, and you're not going to get them anyways. But it's going to cause a lot of anxiousness in you, a lot of worry. You're going to just, you know, they've done studies that said, you know, working hard won't kill you, but worry will. <laughs> and... It shuts down the blood vessels. It makes stress on your heart. You get worried. It makes you turn gray. It does all this stuff to you instead of just, wait, I want to hold the hand. Not this. Hold the hand. Grab the Father's hand. And he says, seek ye first. When we do that, worry just kind of evaporates. Just evaporates. Last part of our text, let's get there. He says, fear not, little flock. Very tender when Jesus says that. He's not berating us. We're not in trouble. But he wants us to know that, that worry is sinful and it drives us further from him. And he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that Jesus starts this little vignette right here when he, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be, he says, fear not, in, in my translation, fear not, little flock. Don't, don't be afraid. How many of us need to hear that on a daily basis from Jesus? I'm afraid of COVID. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of what's going on in the world. I'm afraid of my relationship with my wife or my kid or my spouse. Or, you, know, what, you know, you just keep going on. I'm, I'm afraid of what's going on at work. I'm afraid of what's going on in the streets. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what's going on. And he says, don't be afraid. Not in a rebuking way, but in a tender way. Because he, he says, little flock. He reminds us that he understands what we're going through. He understands exactly what's going on in your heart. He understands. 
And he is not being heartless or cold or insensitive. He knows. But he also says, I know the future. And he knows the power that can be in work in you so that you can have victory. <coughs> the problem you're in is temporary. Say hallelujah to that. Oh man, amen, hallelujah. My, my problem, my, my thing that's on my shoulder is temporary. The situation you're in is temporary. So don't get bogged down by it. And if your focus is being rich, send it on ahead. Seek the kingdom first, his rule, his will, his authority, and God will take care of you. And you'll really be storing your treasures in heaven. So let's just sum up. Worry is sinful, right? Worry is not logical. Worry grows our distrust and undermines our faith. And worry is foolish because our Father is good and our future is secure. Worry is foolish because our Father is good and our future is secure. So, how to have victory over worry? Jesus actually gave us some, some preaching words here. <laughs> Heather, go to the next slide if people are done. You want to have victory over worry? Here it is. You got to have faith. Trust that God will meet your needs. Now, you may not meet your wants. You may not get filet mignon, right? You may not get lobster. But God provides for the birds. He'll provide for you if you act in faith. It's amazing the miracles that happen on the street each and every day because God is moving on the hearts of his people to help the people that he's trying to help. <coughs> Did you catch that? So have faith. Trust that God is, is going to meet your need. And it's your real need, not your perceived need, what you really need. The second thing is it begins with F as well, Father. Like I said, I don't know if your dad was good or bad or ugly. But your Heavenly Father is good. That's why he broke into our world to become one of us. To show us how to live. To live with peace and joy. Not prosperity, like the prosperity gospel preaches. Never promised that. Promised that he would prepare a place for us. That is going to be out of this world where he says, Scripture says... There are no tears in heaven because he has wiped them from our faces. And there's joy unspeakable. And we have to remind ourselves this is temporary. This is temporary. So we have faith, we have Father, and then we have first. Man, when we put the things of God first in our life, things just go right. Amen? I mean, the world looks at us Christians and sometimes they just think that we're just moral Bible beaters, right? No. Being a follower of Christ means that I want Jesus in my life each and every moment of every day that I get to talk to him, that he gets to talk to me. He gets to guide me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake so that I know how to really live and not waste my life.
Remember David Cassidy? Wasn't he in the Partridge family? You know, at the end of his life, and he's dying, he looked back upon all his celebrity, all his drunkenness, all of his dope, all of the, the, the things he put in his body, all the relationships he destroyed, and he said this about his life, I wasted my life. Why? Because he didn't have Jesus. I don't know if you're in the gutter today. I don't know if you're on the mountaintop today. I don't know if you're rich or poor or somewhere in between. But I do know this fact. I know this truth. That when you give your life to Jesus and you start walking in faith, amazing things begin to happen. And you become a different person. And you are transformed from what you used to be into what God always dreamt you to be. See, God has a dream for you. And he always is working on your behalf to move you towards that. It's when we surrender to him, that's when things start changing. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your, this passage. Thank you, Jesus, for telling us how we need to just walk in faith Trust our Father and remember that this is all temporary. As you've gone to prepare a place for us, a place where there's peace and joy and love and acceptance and no guilt and no shame. And you've taken care of that problem for us. So Lord, we come to you humbly, asking us, asking you for the the wisdom and the power and the strength to continue to say, not today, Satan, and not let worry creep back into our life, that our faith in you would grow and we would surrender even anew and afresh, even through communion, that we would surrender because you have set us free from our chains. And now let us walk with our head high. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.